Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16. And as I was mentioning before uh, we started worship this evening, I, uh, you know, we, we've, we've gone and, uh, through some very heavy-duty passages of Scripture. We have referenced and cross-referenced a lot of these things that are yet to happen with the prophecies that have been given to us by the, the prophets of old, the Old Testament prophets, or the Hebrew prophets, as it were. But going all the way back to the book of Revelation, I'm sorry, the book of Genesis, we are in the book of Revelation, went all the way back to the first book of the Bible, there are tremendous connections with the first and the last book. And uh, so what I pray has been happening is that we have been not only looking in the past at how all things came to be because God created the heavens and the earth and he spoke things into existence. But if he did that and has said that there are going to be things happening in the future before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ then we have to believe the whole of the Bible. We have to believe as much that it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, as much as we believe that it says that Jesus is coming again, which his coming is, by the way, around the corner. We haven't touched a whole lot yet, and we probably will in the in the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, but, but we're going to touch upon issues that deal with the Jewish calendar when dealing with prophecy, when dealing with measuring time according to the Scriptures. I think this is also something that is going to give evidence to the fact that our earth is a lot younger than most people teach that it is. Those who believe that, of course, you know, if we believe in a, in a, in a young earth uh, uh, because of the scriptures, then, uh, you know, we're called unscientific and crazy. Well, call us what you want. But there's a lot of scientific proof that the earth isn't as old as everybody makes it to be. So, what a, tr- what, what, what a tremendous thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to hit some verses in, in Genesis this, this evening. As we deal with the last few judgments, now we're not going to get, cover all the judgments tonight, as we, as we did only three last week, and uh, then we're going to do three more today. ...into the temple and... Uh, in essence, declares himself to be God, desecrates the temple. This is the abomination of desolation as spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So, uh, that's, that's what we're dealing with. We're not there yet, because the church hasn't been taken out of the way yet, and we have talked a lot about that. So, it's important to understand that one of the main reasons why the church is not on the earth during this particular time is because of the tremendous weight of the judgments upon the earth and upon the Antichrist and upon those who worship the beast. We've already talked a little bit about that. Let me get to that. The first judgment in verse 2, what we studied last week, as we saw last time, will be directed toward the worshipers of the beast and those who will bear the mark of the beast. The second bold judgment in verse 3 will be directed towards the great bodies of water on the earth. When I say the great bodies of water, we're talking about all of the larger masses of water, the seas, as it were, mostly salt at seas. So uh, that is going to be, uh, they will be polluted with blood, and in essence like blood, but it's, it's going to coagulate and cause all kinds of problems uh, with uh, the earth. Uh, the third bold judgment in verse 4, is aimed at all the fresh water sources on the earth, the rivers, lakes, springs, and streams, and it is also going to be blood-like. Then in verses 5 through 7, the righteousness of God is proclaimed. 
by an angel known as the angel of the waters, because it is the just response for those who have killed the prophets. Now, this is where we kind of ended last time. The world sheds the blood of God's people, and the Lord judges them by turning their water supply into blood, which now becomes their just desserts. Now, the previous two judgments, as we talked about the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, also had something similar to these last judgments uh, called the bowl judgments. But they did not go to the extent as these judgments do. One third of the water supply. Then, now in this particular judgment, all the water supply. You see the difference. So there are different time frames when, you know, the Lord is saying, I'm warning you, turn back to me. I'm warning you. And then finally it says, okay, I've done enough warning. And those who are on the earth are going to have to face the wrath and the fury of God. The world sheds, as I said, the blood of God's people, and the Lord judges them, turns their water supply into blood. Well, I want you to consider something. Turn to Isaiah 49, if you will. Isaiah 49, verses 25 and 26. And if you had followed along, if you could read the smaller print, you could see that that's what we talked about up to about uh, the third uh, uh, bowl there. But uh, in Isaiah 49, verse 25, it says, But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. Do you, do you, I want you to notice that vengeance belongs to God, not to us. It doesn't belong to the Jewish people. It doesn't belong to the Israelites. It doesn't belong to anyone but God. But he says about his own people, I will contend with him who contends with you. Well, who is our greatest contention today? But the devil himself. So we know that he's going to deal with him. But there is coming a time when he, in the person of the Antichrist, will be worshipped. Because that's what he has wanted from the very beginning. So God made it clear, those who take the mark of the beast, those who take the mark on their forehead or on their, on their hand or their arm, as it were, then will be judged. But, give it, but, but time has been given for them to repent. Time has been given for them to respond to the cross of Jesus Christ. But when they don't, then judgment comes. God is not being unfair. God is just. God is righteous. That is why we are, we're going to hear something from, uh, from that last section of, uh, of uh, uh, verses 6 and 7 from uh, last time. Uh, and then he says, I will save your children. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh. And they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Primarily that is directed toward the Jewish people, but also directed toward every believer in Jesus Christ. This is how he sees us with them. In the very fact that he says, I am your Savior and your Redeemer. Who is our Savior and our Redeemer? Jesus Christ. So, if you remember, beneath the altar from which the voice of that angel comes, that we saw last time, beneath the altar where the voice of the angel comes, the souls of those who were slain for the faith were sheltered there. And are sheltered there, by the way. They are sheltered there now. And more than likely now, the cries continue. Lord, when will you avenge us? When will you avenge us? And now the altar itself is given a voice. The Scriptures began with a martyrdom, as it were. And with the blood of the murdered Abel crying out for vengeance. Book of Genesis, chapter 4. The book of Genesis chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out out to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood. A voice was given to the righteous. 
to the ones who were killed for God's sake. Abel offered the perfect sacrifice. Abel offered the right sacrifice. Cain did not. Cain became envious and jealous and he killed his brother. And now the altar itself cries out with a glad and thankful endorsement of the true and righteous judgment of God. And now the judgments continue. Let's go back to our our text in verses 8 and 9. It says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Let me also remind you, if you're somewhat new to our studies here on the book of Revelation, that it sounds like past tense, but it's yet to happen. John is recording this as God is giving him the, the vision of this revelation. So it's as he has already seen it, though it has yet to happen. So the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. It's interesting to me, when I think of this passage, by the way, it says, they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. The majority of people on the earth then and many people on the earth today will tell you they don't believe in God. They'll tell you that God does not exist. So isn't it interesting that when the plagues come, they blame God and they blaspheme God? Interesting, isn't it? Often I have said, if you read the book of of Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of that chapter, Paul says that every man knows there's a God. That knowledge is in every person. We are sinners, we were born in sin, but every man has that understanding that there is a God. And God has made a way for us all to know by His creation. What is being attacked today? The evidence that there is a God, the creation. All of these things are being attacked. With evolution and all these other things. Atheism, agnosticism, all kinds of isms. So, isn't it interesting that one day man will blaspheme the name of God who has power over these plagues? Obviously they know that there's a God. And they will know there's a God. And that's why I said, underline that last phrase, they did not repent and give Him glory. Even though in the fourth trumpet judgment the sun is affected, this judgment is not the same. Here only... Here only is the sun affected. It is not a reduction of light, but an increase in bringing heat to the earth. So I oftentimes tell you, you know, when, when, when in, the, in the summertime when it gets a little warm in here, you think it's hot now? You think it's hot here? Well, it will be hot shortly. You may remember that back in chapter 13, the false prophet had confirmed the Antichrist or the beast in his position of power by calling down fire from heaven. Let me read it to you. Revelation 13, verse 13. It says, He performs great signs so that He even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And again, this was uh, to confirm the position of the beast. Well, now the Lord will pay back That lying miracle, because it was a lying miracle. We talked about that back in chapter 13. But there's the payback. Where this false prophet calls down fire from heaven, God really brings fire from heaven. And from the sun itself. And this is one of those signs in the sun. Signs in the sun, which Jesus commented on 
in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 25, which is part of the Olivet Discourse, it says, and there will be signs in the sun. You all see that. Now, these are the words of Jesus. Signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. So there will be astronomical signs taking place during this time. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, so on and so forth. But there will be signs in the sun. Well, this is one of them. Because when our Savior died, listen, when our Savior died on the cross of Calvary, He put out the sun for three hours. People will say that, well, it was really just a very thick, heavy, cloudy day. Because it was at the zenith of, 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 of the, of the noontime. The, the zenith being the, you know, the, the, the height of where the sun is on the, in the day. But when you look at what happened on that day in the gospel, you realize that it is talking about darkness. Not just a cloudy day. Now in our text here, it will be quickened, which means the sun is going to be actually made more alive in a sense to uh, be renewed and to be really terror-filled upon the earth. It's going to be quickened and to renewed and a terrible life. For those who have to endure the heat of it. Now, now we have global warming. In this passage, just ask the people in the upper Midwest if there's global warming. They're still trying to plow their way out of the snow. In March. But when this heat goes up, now global warming is happening. Turn to the prophecy of Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew. Malachi chapter 4. The last chapter of the prophecy of Malachi. Chapter 4 verse 1. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an, ov- uh, uh, like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. Stubble is, is, is like shavings, wood shavings, or anything that is just uh, refuse of, of raw materials of, of any kind. But, but it's, it, it's what, when, you, when you subject all of that, what, what happens to it? When you subject that to, to heat or to fire, what, what, what happens to the stubble? It, it's burned up, right? It's, it disappears. All the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch but to you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings by the way that's one of the names that can be attributed to Jesus Christ the son of righteousness but I want you to know how it's spelled it's S-U-N the son of righteousness because the son of righteousness has nothing whatsoever to do with darkness He is the true light. Uh, This is something we're told in the book of uh, John, chapter 1. It talks about Him being that true light that that, that came into the world to shine forth the righteousness of God. And it says that He is the one who will arise with healing in His wings. 
It's a tremendous picture because here is the sun, and you think about the sun being that which shines, you know, and gives light. The sun of righteousness, and that focusing on Jesus, and he arises with healing in his wings. So not only is he a sun, but he's got wings on the sun. You know, I mean, it's a tremendous picture. And it all fits because in Jesus Christ is every good picture of all of the characteristics and all of the attributes of God. Healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. And that without having to go to the doctor. You'll grow fat like stall-fed calves. And then it says, you shall trample the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. And again, you would say, well, that's kind of mean, but it's really not so much as if they are doing it, because you remember now the consistency here of understanding prophetic scripture is that it is Jesus who avenges. And if we come with Jesus, he stomps out the wicked and we're with him. So, and, and so are his people. So the sun, that heavenly body worshiped by many down through the ages, right? A lot of sun worshipers down through the ages. People just worship the sun. They saw the sun. Oh, we've got to worship the sun. It gives us heat. It gives us warmth. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, it now becomes an enemy to the people who gave allegiance to the beast. The sun will now become an enemy to those who gave allegiance to or will give allegiance to the beast. It is interesting that man blasphemes the name of God because of this plague Obviously, again, revealing that they are aware of the source of the judgment. And yet, and yet, they, rather than repent, their hearts will become hard and harder and harder. You know, when, when the brightness of the glory of God shines upon a person's heart who's, who's a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what it does? It's like wax. It melts us. And then he shapes us and forms us. But that same glory that's in God and in Christ, when it shines upon the hearts of a person who is far from God, that heart is like like fallow ground. You, you know what fallow ground is? It, it, it's, it's, it's ground that is that, that at one time had... had uh, had been watered, but then it just got dry and, and it cracks. And if you've ever seen dry land that cracks, you know, there's cracks to the, you know, that's fallow ground. It becomes hard. Clay is hardened by heat, isn't it? Those of you that do, you know, pottery or whatever. Clay is hardened by heat. Wax melts with heat. Our hearts melt because of the love of Christ. And the glory of Christ. But that very same that, that very same attitude of heart in Christ toward the unbeliever. It's just the same glory, it's the same Christ, it's, it's the same attributes, it's the same grace and mercy offered. But what does it do to the unbeliever? It just hardens them. How different. They become like Pharaoh of old in the time of Moses. I, I didn't want to give every scripture in Exodus about this, uh, but in Exodus 9 verse 7 it says, And Pharaoh sent, and, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, because God was judging the, the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And, and so the, uh, you know, the, the Israelites were being blessed and protected, but Pharaoh's you know, uh, livestock and all were were taken, but, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard. And he did not let the people go. He saw what God was doing for his people. He saw that God was taking care of them, that he, that he protected them, that he showed mercy upon them, but he would not let them go. And he became harder and harder. You go to verse 12, it says, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And a lot of people say, well, see, God hardened his heart. Let, let me tell you, again, when God shines forth, those who believe in Him are melted in His presence. The others get hard who don't believe. Just His very presence is what hardens the heart of Pharaoh. 
and translate that over to the time that is yet to come when people know it's God that's bringing these judgments, but they don't repent, they become harder. Same God. God doesn't change. He's a God of mercy, but He's also a God of justice. He's a God of love, but He's a God of righteousness. And He's holy, holy, holy. Always. In his commentary on the book of Revelation, John Walvoord said this, he said, The wishful thinking of some that men would repent if they only knew the power and righteous judgment of God is shattered by frequent mention in this chapter of the hardness of the human heart in the face of the most stringent and evident divine discipline. And I, and I tell you what, I think we've all thought of the same thing. Oh, if they could just see the judgment of God, people will repent. Are they repenting now? What mounts people's hearts is the mercies of God and the grace of God. But that's being rejected too, see. I, have, I, I probably should have given this caveat or this warning back when we first started the book of Revelation. Warning. The words that you will hear for the next 22 chapters will put the weight of the burden of your eternal life in the balances. Either you will believe and trust the Lord and be welcomed into His heaven and into His presence or you will reject it and face the judgments that you will hear about and study in this book. I guess I should have warned you. We're responsible for what we know. How are we going to respond to Jesus now? How should we then live? Was asked by the apostles. How should we now live? If we know what's going to happen, how should we then as believers in Jesus Christ live? We now arrive at the the fifth bold judgment in Revelation 16 verses 10. And 11, it says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Again, they did not repent of their deeds. The concentration of God's wrath is now directed at the very source of the wickedness in the world, namely, the seat or the throne of the beast. He is the one whom the people of the earth will be worshiping at that time. They will see that their leader is helpless in the face of the judgments of Almighty God, much as Pharaoh was in Moses' time. Pharaoh was helpless in the face of God's judgment upon Egypt. And yet he got harder and harder and even responded with a spiteful approach of, of, of going after the Israelites after they had left to murder them all because of his anger toward God. Exodus 10 verses 21 through 23 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven 
that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. It's one of those great judgments upon Egypt as you study Exodus 9 and 10. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Three days. Interesting that when Jesus was on the cross three hours there was darkness. God is very consistent in His pictures. Because what was being judged on the cross of Calvary? Jesus was being judged for us in our place. For our sin. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. In Egypt, they couldn't get their flashlights to work. Oh, that's here too, isn't it? Have you ever needed a flashlight and then you go and get it and the batteries are all, you know, chalky? And it's like, oh man, I should have changed the battery. Oh, uh. Can you imagine in Egypt? They couldn't, they couldn't find a way to turn on any light. God had taken all of their light away. It was supernatural darkness. And yet, in Goshen, where the, where the, uh, where the Israelites were, they had light. Why? Because God was their light. God was their light. Well, this, this is kind of interesting how it fits with what we've been seeing here. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Notice, a day of darkness and gloominess. The day of the Lord, by the way, is not one single day. It is the seven-year period that we call the tribulation period. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Darkness. As for this darkness... Rather than being a normal dark night when clouds cover the moon and the stars, this judgment will again be indeed supernatural, producing painful blackness. Not just blackness, painful blackness. A foretelling of of the darkness to come. The awful consequence of eternal punishment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is indeed a preview of hell itself on the earth. The darkness which describes the beast's kingdom is that moral and spiritual darkness which results not from ignorance, but from willfully rejecting the truth. Willfully rejecting the truth. I want you to follow with me. Follow along with me on this. Turn to Matthew 6. This is a Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. Listen to what Jesus said. These are the words of our Lord. He said, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, if your eye is able to see the light of the truth, then your whole body will will be full of that light, will be full of light. We're talking about truth here. Notice the next verse. But if your body, I mean, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
if your eye is bad. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And today there is great darkness on this earth in the very hearts of men whose eyes are bad because they are not looking at the truth. And they're not receiving the truth and they're not accepting the truth. And all they're doing is is mocking the truth. It's an interesting thought how the Lord uses darkness in this, in this issue of, 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 of truth. But if you go on to John 3, in verse 19, Jesus also said, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, as I, as I said before, we, you know, we see that in, in chapter 1 of John, but also here in chapter 3. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, deeds, are, deeds are evil and you want them in a moral society, you want them covered by the darkness. <laughs> so they love darkness rather than light. Man today would rather love darkness because of their, because of their deeds. That's where, that's where evil deeds are. They, they reside in darkness. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So there Jesus makes it pretty clear. Verse 21, but he who does the truth. Now notice this. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. He who comes to the truth. Or he who does the truth, I should say, comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So it's all about this understanding of truth. When we believe and accept the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Word of God, then we are open to all of God's light. And we're full then of that light. Because what does the world need to see? They need to see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And they need to see it in us. Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And he's, and he's really referring to truth. Because he goes on and he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Because in the power of darkness, we were blind to the truth. So he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, which means he has transferred us or he has transported us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And the kingdom of the Son of his love is all light because it's all about truth. And if you remember Jesus standing before Pilate before he goes to the cross, he says that he came to give testimony or to give or to testify of the truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the truth. And when we believe that, we come out of darkness into light. It is to the very heart of this darkness that God is now turning His attention. Getting back to our study of prophecy here in Revelation 16. Again, it is the very heart of this darkness that God turns His attention. By this time, the judgments have become so severe that people bite their tongues with pain. They continue to blaspheme the God of heaven, but they are made to punish their own tongues, which they use to offend God. What have we read so far? They blaspheme God. They blaspheme His name. And now, God says, okay. Now you're going to chew your own tongue. You ever bit your own tongue? We all have done it at one time or another. I hate it. It hurts. I slapped myself a few times. Cut it out. Quit biting yourself. Because it hurts too much. And and can you imagine? I mean, if, if it's supernaturally caused that they're just going to be biting their own tongues because God has had enough of this blasphemy. He's been so patient so far. 
But there's coming a time when all of these things are going to be fulfilled. Zechariah 14. This could be the fulfillment of this very verse. Though there's some things that we need to talk about here too. Zechariah 14 verse 12 says, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. By the way, if we're talking about the, the seed of, of, of uh, Satan, uh, where, where, where would that be? We've already talked about it. Antichrist enters into the temple. If you go back to chapter 2 of Revelation, we talked about this, the throne of, of, of Satan in Pergamos. But uh, that's, I, I don't think that that's what we're talking about. But we're, we're, but we're talking about the very fact that if you know, everything that we're seeing happen now is going to happen in Jerusalem. All the, or in Israel, and all of the, all the battles that we're going to see in just a, a very short time as in our study is all going to be in that area of the world. So he says, this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. That sounds nuclear to me. Does that sound nuclear to you? <laughs> they just kind of like dissolve. You ever seen some of those... Uh, uh, old war pictures, you know, that they, a wind comes after a, an atomic bomb and all of a sudden all you see is shoes. <laughs> Everything else turns to dust. I don't know how they did that, but that's pretty cool. Well, their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. If the eye is the lamp of the body... As Jesus said, to let the good in, to let the whole, the whole body have light. But the world chooses not to look to God, but to look to the Son. You know, as a representative of everything that man wants to worship other than God. Sun worship, the worship of Ra, you know, and then. Egypt and all of that, sun worship, moon worship, rock worship, tree worship. We still have tree worship. Tree huggers today that just, you know, protecting trees. Bird worship, you know, animal worship. It's still around. People today, they worship their animals, mustangs and jaguars. And... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. But they put their eyes on so many other things. Pornography. Indecency. God says, That's, I've had enough. Eyes will dissolve. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. This may possibly be a Fulfilled here. What we see in the book of Revelation. The pain of their tongue. Because all they've done is blaspheme God. And blaspheme God's people. Blaspheme the Savior of the world. Blaspheme the cross. Blaspheme the blood of Christ. Blaspheme the word of God. Blaspheme the church. But all of that combined is just one blasphemy toward God. I, I don't know if you read a lot of this stuff on, on the internet and blogs and stuff, you know, all these guys that have this boldness to write what they want to write on the internet, but they sure seem proud of their hatred toward God. So I don't read them anymore. And that's okay. You don't have to read them, by the way. Sometimes we just, you know, in the ministry, we've got to know what people are thinking and now I just realize they're just not thinking. It shouldn't surprise us one bit that Satan is seeing to it right now that, for the most part, the book of Revelation remains closed. He doesn't want people to know these things that are, happening, that are going to happen. So he'd rather just have it all closed up. The sad thing is that that kind of thinking has seeped into the church 
where there are segments of the church that today don't want to have anything to do with the book of Revelation. It can't be understood. Then why is it in the Bible? Why would God put it in the Bible? He doesn't want us to read it. As a matter of fact, the beginning and the end tell us that there's a blessing if we read and believe the book of Revelation. And the very fact, and I've said this many times before, that when you look at the title of the book of Revelation, it is the revealing of Jesus Christ. It is not the covering up of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of what is going to take place. Not the covering up of what's going to take place. So we, 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 we've been blessed with the book of Revelation and how interesting it is for us to see how hand in hand we see the things happening in this world today go with the scriptures that are being fulfilled on a daily basis. The most significant one, the most significant one, and I dare to say that it's the one that I will harp upon until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is the nation of Israel today, which, again, those same segments of the church don't want to believe. They, they'd rather have rallies for Palestinianism. Now, I'm, you know... I'm not against the Arab people. I want the Arab people to know Jesus. And there is a movement going on in both in Islam and in, in, in Arab countries where people are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in miraculous ways. And I, res, I, I rejoice in that. But the, but the problem is that they've bought into the rhetoric of Islam that says that Israel is the antagonist. That Israel is taking land. That Israel is, is inflicting uh, pain and uh, judgment on people. And they're not. If it wasn't for Israel, many of the Arab Israelis, as well as the, those that are in, in uh, refugee camps, would not have any help whatsoever. Israel helps the refugee. Israel takes in the widows. Israel takes in the orphans. No matter what they are, whether Jewish or not. But yet they're the ones being bombed and when they retaliate, they're the ones condemned in the United Nations. Or I should say the United Nothingness. Well, I don't want to get political, but I already have, I guess. Huh? Sorry. Where are we? So Satan wants us just to be closed in these things, you know. But we can't be. I, I, I told you to look at the, this last part of verse 11, again, as well as one of the earlier verses. Is they blasphemed God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. They did not repent of their deeds. Repentance demands a change of lifestyle. I hope you heard me. The lifestyle of the world. Generally speaking, it's the lifestyle of the world. Repentance demands a change of lifestyle. Nothing could be more tragic than to have opportunities to turn from rebelliousness and disobedience, to turn from evil and wicked ways, and yet not to do so. A person's refusal to repent stems from the desire to continue in their particular lifestyle. So there's a general lifestyle of the world, but there are also particular lifestyles that keep them bound to the world and bound to the wickedness of the enemy who has deceived them into thinking that their particular lifestyles, or whatever it might be, is better than what God has offered for eternity. And yet the Lord is still giving people opportunity upon opportunity until it's too late. Because there will be a day when the door will close, just as there was a day when the door was closed by God to the ark when the floods came. 
And I'm not really sure that we're, we're, giving, well, we're going to be given pretty soon in that story called Noah, that Hollywood thing called Noah that's coming, is, is going to be very biblically accurate. Already, the, I, you know, I, I look at the trailers on TV and I'm thinking, where's that in the Bible? I mean, it's way off. I mean, they had to create a, 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 a scenario. Well, that's how you, you get people to come to watch the show. You, you know, they, if you do it the Bible way, well, nobody wants to see that. But, oh, Russell Crowe, he's Noah. Yeah, let's give him somebody to fight against, you know. We never see that. What we see in the Scriptures is that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. hope you don't mind if I go about five minutes late. All right, so, you know, a preacher of righteousness. That's what he was. I keep thinking, there's going to be war in this movie. I don't know. I'm not going to go see it, I don't think. But, but, but whatever, you know. It, it's, it's, it's too late. When God closes the door, it's too late. Do you know that the door was designed for God to close it, not for Noah? God shut the door. And that is a, that is a, a picture, a portent, as it were, of what is to come. There is coming a time when God has given grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, time upon time, for people and opportunity upon opportunity for people to turn and repent. And there will be a day when that door closes. And you cannot say that God wasn't fair. Or that God was, you can't say that God was unfair. You can't say, oh, you're not fair, God. Maybe a lot of time. How many years did Moses leave the door open? once they had built the ark. Practically a hundred years. But only the animals came. Listen. Nehemiah sums up what the Lord told Moses and the Israelites. In Nehemiah 1 verses 8 and 9, one of his, early, his, his most early prayer in that, you know, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. This is a tremendous prayer. But, but the, just two verses. In Nehemiah 1 verse 8, he reminding the Lord, he says, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But look at the next verse. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out of the to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Even if you're scattered to the furthest end because you disobeyed me, if you return to me, I, I will gather you. I will bring you back. And folks, in one great sense, we see that in Israel. Israel was brought back into the land by God. And Israel has been kept in the land by God. When they could have been destroyed hundreds of times in the last 60 years or so. Destroyed. It was a small little army of of people facing 80 million enemies in two wars. And they're there with their little tanks and their little planes. They beat their opponents. Was that not God? They're still, he's still working on them, by the way, and that's part of our study of Revelation. But anyway, Isaiah 44, verse 22 says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Return to me. I've redeemed you. How has He redeemed us? Through Jesus Christ. He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jeremiah 24, verse 7, it says, And I will give them a heart to know Me that that I am the Lord, and they shall be My people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to Me with their whole heart. Return. The opportunity is being given. Return. Zechariah 1, verse 3, Therefore, says, uh, therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that a beautiful statement? You return to me, I'll return to you. 
He says to them in another place, For I have loved you with an everlasting love. God hasn't forsaken his people. His people have forsaken him. But God has not forsaken them because he will keep his promise. He is faithful. And even to us, he said, even when, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Consider, consider where the voices of men have been aimed towards and will be aimed towards. First of all, they will be directed in exaltation at the object of their worship, which is the beast. Secondly, they will be lifted to heaven in one long shrieking blasphemy and curse against a God they don't even believe in. And now the beast or the Antichrist will be powerless to help for now his throne will be under attack from on high and he knows it full well. The the devil knows it full well. He will not be long in reacting as we shall see next time. So, we'll talk about that then. Let me close with this. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 4 through 11 because I want you to leave tonight encouraged. I want you to leave encouraged. If you know Jesus, you need to leave encouraged. But you brethren, notice brethren, that's you believer, you who are brothers in Christ. You brethren are not in darkness. What have we been talking about? Darkness a lot today, right? Well, guess what? You believers are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. The day of the Lord is not going to overtake you because you're not in darkness. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. I think Paul's made that pretty clear now. We're not of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Well, that doesn't mean that you don't physically sleep. You need to go home tonight, okay? Go home and sleep. Don't. Uh, Pastor Charlie told us, you know, that we can, I got to stay up all that, you know. No, 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 go home and go to sleep. Get your body rested and all that. We're talking about spiritually. Don't go spiritually sleeping on the job here. As others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Oh, okay. Watch that. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Really, the the encouragement that Paul is giving is when you go out in the day, uh, go dressed. Please. But most importantly, spiritually, go dressed with a breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Never leave your home without the armor of God. Ladies, you're going to study this pretty soon. But men, you know, while they're studying the armor of God in a, in a few weeks up in, in, in uh, Ruidoso, when the ladies go to do that, you need to be reading and studying it yourselves. So that when they get back and they can tell you what they learn, you can share it with them. And be excited about you all as a family learning and loving the same thing about what God has given to all of us here. Okay, so let's, uh, for God did not appoint us to wrath. Here is a very key verse. God did not appoint us to wrath. What have we been talking about? In Revelation 16, the outpouring of God's fury and wrath in the whole world. There will be no Christians uh, in the sense of the church there anymore. Everyone, God will have rescued. And by the way, the one thing that we haven't talked about yet, which we will next week, is that God is not coming to destroy. He's coming to rescue what he created. We'll talk about that more next time. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, in other words, whether we're alive or you know we pass on and from this life, we should live together with him. And therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. The previous chapter, chapter um, 4, when he talks about the rapture of the church, verse 18, what does he tell us? Comfort one another with these words. I want you to be comforted. If you're a believer, you should be comforted. If you're not, you better become one because then you can be comforted. But if not, this is what you've got to look forward to, all this other stuff. 
And I don't want you to look forward to it. I want you to look forward to Jesus. And not be afraid of Jesus. You know, we need to not be afraid of Jesus. I think a lot of people, you know, they try to do a macho thing. Well, you, don't, be a, don't be macho. Be, be humble. And realize that it takes a lot of courage to say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And all the more now in the day and time in which we live. It takes courage to be a Christian. So you know what? Be a Christian. Be a believer that's not afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul teaches at the beginning of the book of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, and we have them both here in this room, but together we are one in Christ. One in Christ. All right. Well, now I've given, given the five minutes, so I'm, I'm done. The extra five. All right, let's pray.